This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 242 of the Yellow Wallpots. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I have returned from vacation. Hence, we finally have a new episode. And uh, yeah, the preseason is over. Borussia Dortmund just beat Lazio 1-0 in Essen. Pretty boring game, if you ask me. And to discuss that and uh, the little... I guess the the striker situation, let's call it this, uh, briefly join me. Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I'm doing fine. How are you? Pretty well myself. Just a little bit jet lagged. So if I have more mishaps than usual, uh, I'll just blame it on that. And also here, Matthias Luke. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. How are you today? Still very good. <laughs> well, I just figured I had, should, you? you know, out of politeness, I should ask too, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's manners, man. Manners. Yeah, that uh, is very important as always. And uh, I need to show manners as well and tease the interview I had with Manuel Fit, which I will add to the end of this episode uh, about Borussia Dortmund's latest signing, Axel Witzel. Uh, we had a really yeah, interesting 25-minute chat, not only about the player, but also about some cultural things beyond that. But uh, more on that later, obviously. Um, so before we do a deep dive in the interview later on, quick reaction from you, Konstantin and Matthias, then later, what are your thoughts on that purchase? As I said in the, on the last episode, actually, um, that I think I said it right, um, I... I mean, it's a great, uh, great signing. Just put it like that. Um, just straightforward. Uh, I think, uh, looking at the transfer market and looking what you can do at the holding midfielder position, it's basically the best, uh, signing Dortmund could pull, could have pulled off, actually. I mean, uh, Axel Witzel, he did very well for Belgium at the recent World Cup. Um, he did well for Zenit, uh, and Benfica, actually. Um, so to, higher up European clubs all right yeah he just faded away into obscurity when he uh, went to China um, but still he proved uh, with the Belgian team when he performed for the Belgian team that uh, he's still or he is capable of uh, high level performances and actually one of the better if not one of the best holding midfielders in Europe so uh, getting him for reportedly 20 million or something guys like peanuts nowadays um, so that's great business, and that's what that's what Dortmund should do uh, here and there. I mean, signing young players is also a great business model, but getting one of these experienced ones like uh, Witzel, twenty nine years old, getting someone like him is also great to improve your squad. Um, he is, you know, above any doubts at this point, and I think if he stays healthy, and if you look at his injury. Uh, track record. He had like one injury in the past five years or something. One, you know, serious injury. Um, so if he can stay healthy for the foreseeable future, he can be an asset for the next two or three years or at least two and then maybe fade into a more of a back, backup, uh, role. But still, uh, I think this is, is certainly one of the best 
um, mid midfielders in the Bundesliga right now. Right from the get-go, he's one of the best. Matthias, anything to add? Um, you know, I I agree with everything that was just said. And for me, it'll be interesting because now what does this do with Delaney? Um, you know, because I, I don't see necessarily Favre putting out Witzel and Delaney and Dahoot, say, as a midfield trio because this it's going to be controlling, but, you know, rather defensive-minded, of course, unless Delaney drops deeper. But uh, I think that definitely, in my eyes, shows that Delaney is that backup rotational option. Uh, given the fixture congestion that Dortmund are definitely going to face this season, uh, whereas Witz is going to be the first choice with one or two other guys uh, in a more creative aspect. Um, so Delaney is more for the squad depth, in my opinion, with this signing. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how, how this all will pan out because Dortmund are very loaded in holding midfield and central midfield. You know, you have, you have Shine, obviously, you have Weigel, you have Witzel for their number six. You can put Delaney on there. You can put Delaney on the eight. And, uh, you look at the hood and even Rode and, of course, Mario Götze for, uh, positions in central midfield and Shinji Kagawa if you want. So, um, yeah, a lot of options there for Favre, and I uh, really wonder how it'll pan out. Um, Matthias, what are your... I, I don't know how much you've seen of the preseason. I haven't followed every match either. Um, but in general, now going into the going into the season, what is your feeling? Are you... Are you positive are you optimistic negative mildly whatever <laughs> what what uh you what have you seen what are your observations what are your thoughts well obviously i'm i'm comparing it to and and also i didn't i haven't watched everything i've watched some bits and bobs here and there um but if i compare it to a year ago I feel more cautiously optimistic because uh, I feel <laughs> like the players have a better understanding of what Favre wants of them. And I think the players fit more into what he wants versus a year ago with Bosch. It just wasn't the right players for what he wanted to do. Now there are actually a couple of players that may have helped him to do what he wanted to do. Um, but uh, cautiously optimistic. I think Dortmund are are looking solid, even though I think Favre said as well, we, we still need to become more solid defensively. Um, but, uh, yeah, cautiously optimistic. It's been more good than bad, but again, it's preseason. And, uh, as someone who also follows the NFL, there's only so much that matters in preseason. I think some people actually care about the results. I really don't. It's more about performances, seeing individual players, how they fit into what, and kind of getting an idea of what the manager wants. And I think um, I'm, I'm more optimistic than I was definitely four, five, six months ago. Yeah, I would like to say it still looks uh, patchy at times, that uh, there's sometimes a very grave lack of automatism that I feel is a little bit concerning, especially defensively. I thought Dortmund would not be as shaky as they sometimes seem, especially today against Lazio. And uh, 
I was not really comfortable with either fullback, be it Schmelzer or Pilchek. Um, so <laughs> I really hope that they get it together a little bit more, but I have a hunch that it might take a while before everything is 100% clicking. You know, it's, it's a, a relatively common preseason after a World Cup tournament where, you know, there are new players and, and uh, players coming back from the time tournament in, in drips basically. And, uh, yeah, it takes a little bit to, to make it all cohesive, especially with a new coach, but, uh, yeah, we already saw that tactically overall it looks far more cohesive than uh, ever before last season, I feel. And uh, Dortmund can actually counter right now. I think uh, if if you want to take away one big positive, it's their uh, offensive transition game. I think that already looks quite crisp. Um, Konstantin, do you want to take a look at the winners and losers on an individual level? On an individual level, um, I think oh, that's that's a tough one actually. Um, yeah, so so Nori Sharin, for instance, he had a lot of playing time during the preseason, but didn't make a convincing case for him being uh, more than just a backup um, veteran player at this point. Um, I think Toyan didn't do himself any favors during the preseason, uh, and Umar Toprak. Basically dropped into third position at center back, I think. Um, Diallo left footed, um, also a bit at an advantageous position, uh, against the other, uh, against the other two more experienced or let's say more, uh, put together, uh, center backs in, in Toprak and Akanji. And I think Akanji is, uh, above the other two. So Toprak is only in third place right now with Sagadu just, you know, being the young gun. Um, still developing, so so he isn't an option for um, these these really serious uh, matches against I don't know, the likes of Leverkusen or Schalke uh, at this point. So Toprak is a bit of a loser of the uh, preseason, and uh, Marius Wolf <laughs> expectedly didn't like convince anyone that he is uh, more than just a one-hit wonder at this point. Um, I think on the other on the other side, uh, Mahmoud Ahoud did quite well um as many know that father is a big fan of his was back in the Tladbach days he was basically his me- his mentor and uh, i think you know co- uh, coming back together with his mentee it's it's interesting um seeing that the who is is the connecting or was in many ma- uh, preseason matches basically the connecting midfielder the midfielder between both um the the own and the opposing penalty area um, so, I mean, if he gets its conditioning right, he could be the, uh, that kind of player. Um, tripping back, going forward, you know, pressing up, uh, pressing high up and next to, uh, Götze and Philip, stuff like that. Just, I mean, I, I thought that who did very well. Um, especially given what he did last season. I mean, it's like, <laughs> co- comparing, uh, some of his performance last season with what he did uh, during the preseason. Um, yeah. He is one of the winners. Um, same for Jane Sancho, who is really established now as one of the uh, reliable wingers. Um, and, I mean, basically, Sancho, I think, outshined Pulisic in, in plenty of matches. Of course, with Mar- Marco Reus back, Sancho will be more of a backup at, at uh, on the left side. Still, 
injuries right now. There's not one player is injury injured. Uh, knock on woods. Um, so we will see. You know, I mean, injuries will occur over the course of the season. And and one of, and I think one of the surprises of the preseason was uh, Jakob Poon Larsen, um, because Larsen coming back from Stuttgart, not doing anything at Stuttgart uh, last season, and now he's in the mix and could very well play in in competitive matches and get minutes uh, until the winter break. So uh, I don't think that was expected. But uh, in terms of packing order, he is above our players. Uh, he's he's above. He's even above Kagawa, I think, at this point. Although they play different positions. Uh, same with Isaac. I think Lawson has a better case uh, for himself to uh, to play some ta- some minutes um, in the next few weeks uh, than you know when you look at Isaac or Kagawa um, and Mario Smith. So. Interesting, interesting, really. Um, especially when you see that Wolf uh, was signed and and Larsen is the, the young or the youth player coming back and basically outshining the new um, guy coming in. So, yeah, maybe sometimes um, it works out that well uh, that way, and it's a bit surprising to all of us. Matthias, you want to give your two cents on uh, players that may have stood out for you in a positive or a negative way? Um, well, I mean, probably the most positive thing is what, uh, Kozatin just said is no, no injuries. That's very, very positive for me. Uh, <laughs> so yay us. Um, but, uh, beyond that, you know, I would say to echo it in def- central defensive pairing, obviously Akanji and Diallo are, are it. Um, I think that's, that's evident, self-evident of anybody that even watched two minutes of any preseason friendlies. And honestly, I think we all kind of had that hunch going into the preseason that, that Topak would kind of be the veteran backup. Also, because Topak has had a lot of issues with staying fit and healthy over the last few seasons. So, but having him come off the bench or come as a backup may not be a bad thing given his experience and the lack of experience uh, that the other two have really. Um, yeah, I, I would say the fullback play. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Tolian Schmelza, uh, Pischek, you expect to drop off more and more. Um, so I, I wouldn't say he was a loser. I would say I'm not surprised. Per se, um, Wolf, I was expecting a little bit more of, but again, it's preseason. I have to agree. Obviously, I was rather vocal of my criticism of Dahoot last season. And if he does what he's been showing in preseason, then I will be his most vocal supporter, given that I have high hopes and expectations for him. So, and, and with Sancho, the shame is that, you know, Everyone's fit. He's probably not going to start the important matches, depending on how uh, Pulisic plays in the next couple of months. Yeah, well, I would say that Pulisic had a really good preseason. Uh, he looked sharp. He looked very reinvigorated and, uh, yeah, made a lot of things happen. Uh, today against Lazio in the first half, he was really, really bright, but then uh, fell off. That's uh, 
something that Pulisic had quite often last year in games where he had like a really good 25 minutes or so and then was nowhere to be seen. Um, if that's the case, though, I think Dortmund have uh, all kinds of replacements uh, to to make this up later in the, in the match or so. Um, I I guess. What really stood out for me was uh, Abdul Diallo. Uh, to me, I think he he is the real deal. Um, I like how calm he is on the ball. Um, he is a no nonsense defender, as you would say. Sometimes he just pumps the ball away, but uh, yeah, it's it's just really great to see someone that handles the ball so well and and defends also with with such calmness. You know, you you hardly sense any hectic about him, any nervousness, and uh, to almost the same extent you can say the same about Akanji so um yeah that should be a really good center back pairing however um I can also see that Favre at some point just puts Diallo on on left back if, if Schmelzer really doesn't uh, find his form uh who knows sometimes he looks a little bit shaken in preseason but once uh, there's the first competitive game he shows a different face um so We'll see. We mustn't forget that uh, Favre's preseason is also a lot more straining than uh, the one of Peter Bosch last year. So um, if if the players look a little bit uh, uh, stiff, let's say, during the preseason friendlies, that might also have to do with uh, the sheer intensity they are playing. Um, and I, I guess in the end, we, we will all come to the same conclusion that uh, we are probably not all feeling too fuzzy about Dortmund not having signed a striker, um, especially if you look at uh, Lautaro Martinez already doing great things for Inter. Uh, that's certainly the one that got away. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I... <laughs> I'm just not too confident about Marco Royce or Maximilian Philipp playing in that number nine role. I I can see it work out for quite some time, but especially in the high profile games in the Champions League, I think you just need someone uh, a little bit better. The question, however, is uh, if Dortmund can dig someone up. So, um, Constantine, any ideas? I mean, we've discussed this several times. Uh, is there any hope you can? give our listeners that Dortmund actually will find the right fit for their needs in the striker department? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, last time around, I talked about Morata. That didn't work out, right? Um, so then there were some rumors uh, regarding Kevin Gamero, um, Gamero uh, fr from Atletico. Uh, that's off the table because uh, Valencia and Atletico just agreed on basically agreed on you know um, transfer. So um, then there was there was uh, I think Valencia also announced that they had agreed with a Bajoy on the deal. I don't know what's what's up with that, but it's a loan. Oh, it's a loan. All right, I just just read the headline. It was something agreeing on something. All right. So, so, uh, Valencia basically is, is stealing the, the two, two, uh, B, uh, BBB targets, uh, targets. So, yeah, that's great. Um, that's, that's, it makes hope for, uh, what, what comes next. Basically, you know, there's, there's not one capable center forward right now. Um, Dortmund could sign, I guess. I mean, Mario Manchukic won't leave Juventus. Uh, Morata, that's off the table. The, the, I think the English teams only because the transfer market is basically closed in England. They can, they, they can't sign any new players. They just can't sell. 
um, but they only will sell basically what's left <laughs> and what they have to sell. Um, and not, not Morata who, who started uh, for Chelsea against uh, Huddersfield just this weekend. So, um, yeah, there's not much. I mean, there were some rumors regarding, uh, Pedro, for instance, um, from Fluminense. Uh, but a player like Pedro, for instance, um, is, is really, that's, re- that would be a, a project, you know, a guy you have to develop 21 coming from Brazil. That's not someone you can just throw in there and say, yeah, score 10 goals, something. I like the idea of Gamero, also a small ball center forward, just like Philip and, to some extent, Royce, uh, but with a different kind of skill set, a bit, a bit more, uh, straight on the nose, uh, because Philip is much more like a, what, what, what once, uh, Christian Streich, the Freiburg coach called the swimming, swimming number nine, uh, someone who's drifting around, uh, more and more. And it's not like going straight, uh, towards the goal. That's Camero is more like that. Although he's like only as tall as a sports bag. Uh, but still, um, so yeah, and in the Bundesliga, you you won't find any really capable center forward that will enhance the Dortmund side. And just signing someone for the sake of signing someone, I don't think that's that's the right thing uh, to do because then you have someone who's like not really of value, and you have to get get rid of him after a while. Um, just you know, just look in the dictionary under S like Schuller. <laughs> Lars has uh, uh, proposed uh, Finn Bogason from Augsburg. Any thoughts on that? Finn Bogason. I wouldn't really fit into the system right now. Um, yeah, well, well, why not? I mean, he would be someone for one season and then they have to find a way to get rid of him. So <laughs> that's that's like... Some, I mean, you could pr- probably do it because uh, you wouldn't pay him much. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, you would pay him probably the, the Morris Wolf money or something. Uh, which, you know, actually, actually, when you think about it, the Morris Wolf, uh, signing, that was pointless. I mean, just, uh, and Finn Bogerson is also, I think he's, he's, uh, late twenties. He might be even 30 right, uh, at this point. So, uh, yeah, he would be a guy for one season, but he would also, sh- uh, signing him would also show, uh, the desperation mode. Dortmund is just in. I, I don't even know if they're in desperation mode. I don't know what the front office is thinking right now. I, I don't know. Um, maybe they are just fine with uh, Philip and and Royce, and even like the idea of a four four two with Philip and Royce up front, going back to the to the far for Gladbach days, where it was you know up front with um, guys like Max Kruse and and Royce and and so on and so on, like with this so called swimming number nines. Not really as Although, on the other hand, Gladbach also had Bobadilla, who's like twice the size of every other player in the Bundesliga. So. <laughs> no, uh, no hopes. That's that's it. That's the squad. They will only sell. Yeah, Matthias, uh, can you can you help us here? I don't know if I can. Uh, maybe maybe Michael Zorc can. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's. I don't have, I'll be honest, I have no confidence in Royce as a number nine. I just don't. I, I think he'd be too easy. His strength is coming at the defenders with speed and movement and not being up against the central defenders necessarily or the defensive midfielders. I think he'd, he'd be pushed off far too easily. I think Maximilian Philip could probably do that role better. I'm still disappointed that Isak really hasn't 
seems to have stagnated over the last year, year and a half, and, and really hasn't made any strides forward. There are, I mean, there's still plenty of names out there floated. I don't know if a single one of them will actually, not not so much actually be able to sign, but will actually be any better. I mean, what's the latest one? Moise Keen from from Juventus for twenty million. Yeah, who I've eighteen. I've never seen play. Um, I I don't see where that helps. I don't see where Wesley from Bruges helps or Holland from. From Molde, who else we have here on this wonderful Transfermarkt list? Uh, Samata from Henk. You know, I mean, I, I don't really see any of these guys adding anything to it other than, hey, we have a, a trained striker. And, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess one may be working with that theory of a, a strike partnership like Stindl and Raphael. Uh, from Gladbach because they're not really strikers. You know, they're more out of a number 10 slot. So it's almost like you're playing a strikerless 4-4-2 or something like that. Um, maybe that's what they're thinking. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, there, there are strikers out there that could help Dortmund. Are there strikers out there that could help Dortmund that Dortmund would be willing to pay the money, knowing that the market knows Dortmund needs to sign a striker? I'm rather doubtful at this point. Um, it may be a project striker, which, you know, in historically, Dortmund haven't done poorly with a project striker that they've built, but it usually took a season or two, like Lucas Barrios, Lewandowski, or an Aubameyang. Aubameyang came as a winger and became one of the most potent strikers in the Bundesliga. So I wouldn't put it past them for something like that. I just don't know if one of those type of players is in the squad currently. In fact, I'd probably say there isn't. All right, fair enough. I don't, I don't think we'll come to a conclusion here because uh, it it might just be so that uh, the transfer market needs to move a little bit more and maybe uh, there is an opening even later in, in the remaining about two weeks or so. So, Matthias, let me ask you this. Um, what do you think that Dortmund will be able to offload a couple of guys? They definitely probably uh, don't want to have anymore i'm I'm looking at uh, sebastian rodo for example i just don't see how um he will have any minutes this season and probably congest the wage bill and uh, such players do you think it's realistic that dortmund can now uh offload in the, in the coming weeks a couple of players because i think they have like 29 players right now in, the, in their squad and it's obviously way too bloated um, I, you know, I'm opti I'm more optimistic of that than signing another striker. Um, I would say Rode, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a mid-table to lower half of the table side that will take a punt on him. The problem there will probably be his wages. Um, you know, hey, Wolfsburg's always good for a signing like that, right? Um, and then I think Nuri Shahin. Going to Galatasaray, I think that's it, it fits the profile that Galatasaray seemed to like in signing a player, and I think for Nuri Shahin it would it would actually be a good fit. So I, I feel cautiously optimistic that those two players can and probably will move on. Constantine, 
any players you want to see out the door and where you actually have hope that they will also follow suit? Sure. Um, I think Sebastian Roeder, that's still, there's still a possibility that he, or that someone could pick him up. Um, as Matthias already said, um, yeah, the switch, uh, could be an issue. Um, I don't actually see Wolfsburg, uh, picking him up because they have done quite a good job, uh, recently or past few, uh, weeks at least. Um, getting rid of their old, uh, manager and stuff like that has worked wonders. Uh, for Wolfsburg, um, but who knows? Who knows? Um, there are a few teams, maybe I don't know, Fortuna Düsseldorf or so. You know, they um, something like that. They they lost Neuhaus. Maybe they they need another um, center midfielder, defensive midfielder. Um, other than that, I would like to see uh, Bornich getting another loan deal um, at club like Freiburg or so, um, because I don't see him getting any any playing time. Uh, you know. Behind Weigel, Witzel, Shaheen, Dahoud, Delaney, and so on and so on. It's like almost impossible. Or Favre sees in him, uh, an option at, at left back because he has played as a left back, uh, occasionally. I don't know. But if, if not, then, uh, it, it shouldn't be a wasted season for, uh, Bonich. Um, and that's about it, I guess, because you can't get rid of Wolf right away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you need Tolyan still, um, because both fullbacks, like your your starting fullbacks Schmelzer and, and Piszczek, um, aren't that convincing right now. You get Hakimi, who's basically the better Tolyan, but still a, a new guy, pretty young, a uh, new country. Um, so I don't know if you just put all your eggs in his basket. So you need Tolyan basically for another season before you can let him go in the in the uh, wide world. Um, yeah, and that's about it, right? I mean, are there any other players? Is, what, what about Sergio Gomez? I don't think you should uh, loan him. I think um, you should try to to give him um, a few matches as a left-sided center midfielder uh, because I know there's uh, plenty of competition. Uh, midfield, but uh, Gomez is a special player, and uh, just like Sancho last season, um, sometimes it, it's just a few matches before the winter break, and maybe you need him after the winter break, and then he can be a, a breakout star right away. Sometimes it, it gets faster than you think. Same with Dembele in his first season. Um, so sometimes it happens because I, I put uh, Gomez in the cat in the Dembele Sancho category. Um. It's just a little bit harder in, to to shine in midfield and to get uh, minutes uh, when there are the Götzes and the Dahoots of the world. Yeah, I almost asked uh, whether Dortmund should uh, loan out Dan Axel Zagadou, but then I remembered when Julian Weigel played centre-back against yeah, Eintracht Frankfurt, so uh, Dortmund should certainly not never, go into the season never. with only three <laughs> centre-backs. <laughs> so that answers the question itself. Um and it's also like like I think the, it's perfect when I look at the squad. Basically, you got four four center backs for two positions, two left backs or uh, three uh, two right backs and one versatile full back. You know, it's it's perfect actually. Uh, it's just a mid they are a bit, bit too loaded in midfield. That's it. That's why I get rid of Roda and Bornich, and then perfect, you're ready to go. Oh, well, maybe you have to drag them along un until winter, maybe to convince them that there's no <laughs> there's not a snowball's chance in hell. For them to get any valuable minutes and uh, in the end they all want to play professional football, I assume. Um, 
Matthias, any last words or should we knock it on the head and give over to Manuel Fid? I think uh, we should give it over to Manuel. All right, then uh, I thank you too. And uh, as always, um, yeah, check both out on Twitter at cc underscore n Eckner is Konstantin and at Matthias Zuck is Matthias. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. And now we go over to Manuel Fit to talk about Axel Witzel, Bristol Dortmund's latest signing. And I guess then until next week where we will preview the cup match against Kräuter Fürth. Yay. Now I'm joined by Manuel Fiet from the uh, Football Grad Network and loyal listeners, of course, know him very well because he has been quite often here on, on the show. Manu, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me once again. And uh, we are, as previously announced here, to talk a little bit about Axel Witzel. Um, you have written for Football Grad uh, that you obviously follow him for a longer time since he has been in, in Russia for quite a while. So first things first, uh, do you think this is a smart transfer for Dortmund to purchase a 29-year-old for 20 million and pay him around 7.5 million base fee annual salary? Yes, I do. Um, very straightforward. I know there's been a lot of talk about, oh, he's 29, there's no resale value, yada, yada, yada. Come on, if you want to be a top club, you every once in a while you have to buy a player. You don't look to sell in the future, right? So um, this is obviously one of those deals where you're bringing in a ready-made player, a player who's supposed to help you right away, who's supposed to help you for the next three, four years. It's not about looking to sell him to the Premier League in two seasons for, I don't know, 60, 70 million euros. Um, this is This is a good deal. All right. So, um, what are his strengths and weaknesses? What does Axel Witzel excel in? Why does he have 96 caps for the Belgium national team, even though never having played for a European top five league or whatever people say? That's remarkable, isn't it? 96 caps. He's 29. He's 96 caps. He's played in Portugal. He's played in Russia, um, China. Even though he played in China, that didn't hurt his career. Yeah. He's, I think. You know what you're going to get with him. He's um, both a destroyer, um, but also a player who can hold the ball. When you look at the Belgium side, that was in many ways very top-heavy, right? I mean, someone like Kevin De Bruyne had to play sometimes on the eight um, rather than further up front to give give that Belgium national team some balance. And even then, that's still very top-heavy, right? Axel Witzel allowed them to do that because he, as a, as a single holding midfielder, brings a lot of balance to any squad that he plays in. Um, I had the joy to watch him many times when he was at Zenit. And of course, China is a, is a little bit far away. I'm not a subscriber to any feeds that show the Chinese Super League. So I have to admit, when he was there, he was a little bit off my radar, but he wasn't there for very long. Um, when he was in Russia, I saw him not only on television, but also in stadium. And I thought it was always quite remarkable how he just kept the team together. But at the same time, was able to 
also play that, that killer pass, um, to string together passes. I mean, at the World Cup, he had a 94.6% pass completion rate. That's, that's impressive. You know, you don't, you won't find very many other players in the tournament that have had that kind of pass completion rate. And of course, this is a side that played all seven games, um, all the way to the third place final, right? And he did that coming off a Chinese Super League season, um, in middle of the season too, because they play in the middle of the season. So he was able to hit the, the, the World Cup full stride, play a remarkable tournament. And I think really get back on the radar of, um, European football. And I think that that alone already says quite a bit on what kind of player Dortmund are getting. All right. I must admit, I've, I really enjoyed watching Belgium, but, uh, you know, as <laughs> during the World Cup, I more or less took my analytics glasses off and just watched it as a fan, basically, and uh, really just had eyes for the flashy players. And I gotta admit, uh, Axel Witzel wasn't really on, on my radar um, during uh, the Belgium games. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, usually when you talk about a defensive midfielder that's um, you know that has strong attributes in tackling and maybe interceptions winning the ball all that um, you know the the first and obvious question is then how is this press resistant you know because a lot of ball winners have have this obvious weakness you know take even Xabi Alonso for example or you know if you want to put the Dortmund perspective on Sven Bender, for example, who uh, was a long-time ball winner. Um, but the the problem is then once they have the ball, what to do with it? Can they be pressured? So you said Axel Witzel is very accurate in his passing, uh, but how does he actually behave under pressure, you think? Yeah, he's a lot more physical. I mean, the, the one thing that made him famous and it's something that he's still reeling from is that fall, right? That he committed back when he played for Standard Liege in Belgium. But that said, I mean, he isn't a lot more disciplined today, but he's definitely someone who is a lot more press resistant than, let's say, Weigel. Um, a creative enforcer in some ways. And that's exactly, remember when Watzke said, we have to sign someone who can, who can put in a tackle. And um, when we need someone who puts in a tackle when it matters and he can do that. I think that is something that you get on top of the, the passing ability is you get someone who will put in that necessary tackle and resist the pressing play. Um, I, I think when you, when you're a Bundesliga watcher and a lot of the listeners <laughs> yes. here are, right? The, you, the player that I would like to compare him to is Arturo Vidal, right? Only better in passing. He's maybe sitting back a little bit further. Vidal like to come forward a little bit more, right? But I think that is really a very good comparison that, you have a player who has very obvious tactical, technical abilities, but he can put in a mean foul without it actually having any consequences when it matters. And this is something that I, I think I wrote an article about, the art of uh, football brutalism, right? To put in a mean tackle without getting a yellow card. Mm. Now that's an Arturo Vidal classic. And I think uh, Axel Witzel very much falls into that same category. Yeah, do you, do you think, I know you follow Dortmund quite closely as well, so do you think that uh, he is really the player that Dortmund needed to add? Um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, will run down the really long list of, of defensive and central midfielders that Dortmund already have. They purchased Delaney, who in my view is more of an eight than a number six. Um, so do you think it was absolutely necessary for Dortmund to purchase another defensive midfielder? 
not you know taking away from their need to purchase a striker but regardless of that um, I do think so because I look at Sebastian Roden, Nuri Sahin, and I see, to put it mildly, Deadwood. I think that <laughs> there is, there is definitely a need because right now you have three players in, in that category, you real three players, and, and that excludes Sahin and, and Rode. There really is just three of them, right? Weigel, Witzel, and Delaney. Those will be your number, those will be your three squad starters. And you can play them all three because I, I suspect that at times Favre will go three, five, two. So you need a lot of players that can play in midfield. And I think the two Delaney and, and Witzel allow Weigel to have a bit more creative freedom in midfield as well. Because you, you said it earlier that the press is something that he always struggled with. And all of a sudden he has someone to protect him a bit better. You're essentially getting something that you haven't had since um, since Bender left. You're getting someone who, who can put in a work rate and a little bit of steel. At the same time, this Bender didn't have, can also play really good football. And I think when you look at all of that, I think it's a good signing. Um, of course, now they, they have the difficult task of getting rid of players because they will have to, right? Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, because... Players like Rodo, for example, they also just think that under a new coach and whatnot, they just want to accept the challenge and see where things go. I mean, they're sitting on a good contract. Mm. I don't think Nori Shine will leave with one year on his contract. He will probably say, okay, this is my last year and then I might end the career or so. So I don't know if Dortmund can actually, uh, you know, cut off a lot of that way just this summer. Yeah. We'll see about that. Um, I'm also a little bit on the fence with the assertion that I said that Julian Weigel struggles with pressing. I actually think he has a very high press resistance because I think he can pass the ball away and, and get rid of it before the opponent comes to him pretty well. But uh, when he is man-marked, so basically mm. when when someone uh, is assigned to him to, to make sure that he doesn't even have the time to, to get the pass off, then, of course, he struggles. And, uh, and so far, I think you're right that... Um, um, It would be very helpful for Dortmund if uh, not all the focus is on Julian Weigel and that opponents can't just worry about him, try to take him out of the game and all of a sudden nothing works anymore for Dortmund. I think that's a, a, a very uh, important key aspect. And I would also say that um, Julian Weigel didn't have his best season last season. Yeah. And uh, he once again didn't make the full preseason due to injury and you never really know how he actually will behave under Favre so keeping in mind that Nuri Schein has you know is, he is past his prime Sebastian Rode um, is in my view also more of a number eight than number six to be honest um, also not a player who I see starting a lot of games so if you have Schein and, and Weigel with a couple of question marks behind them to answer my question myself a little bit Uh, I think it's absolutely necessary to add another player. And especially with Witzel, you get someone who adds uh, another variety of qualities um, because Julian Weigel in his positional play, I think defensively is, is actually pretty good and astute. But uh, when it comes to tackling, it's a bit questionable. And especially once, um, you know, the attack breaks the, the, mm. the second line in midfield and Weigel has to backtrack, then I think... A lot of weaknesses are exposed. Um, you know, I looked very closely last season in a lot of games where 
uh, you know, defensive runs by Weigel were just really atrocious. They just made the wrong positions where to go, who to cover, and whatnot. And the same can be said about Norisha, and especially, uh, I think, against Atalanta, it was yeah. uh, away in the game. There were like a couple moments where he just completely refused to even make a run. And, uh, you know, there's always the hope in, in high profile games that you have a player like Witzel that actually, you know, cherishes the defensive play instead of just treating it as like a. And just put the fist on the table, right? When it matters. <laughs> I think that is, that is something in just, just to wake up his teammates and put in that tackle where, when it matters. I mean, this is. Yes, this is a, such basic football talk, one-on-one football talk, but sometimes you need that and you need actual leadership. And I, I remember a lot of talk last year was about the lack of leadership in that midfield. So a lot of nice, nice players, nice guys in that midfield, but no one who actually slams his hand on the table and says, okay, well, we have to, we have to put our foot in, foot in there and make sure that we turn around this game. Yeah. You know, obviously. The, the, the leadership question and, and, you know, having the alpha male in your team is, is a debate in Germany, especially that I don't really appreciate because too often it takes away from structural and tactical issues. And I'm pretty sure Dortmund had a lot of these last season yeah. under Peter Bosch and Peter Sugar. But nevertheless, I actually agree with you, um, that Dortmund lacked a little bit of leadership and, and sometimes that wakes the team up and I the, I think the team has analyzed this quite well and uh, in in every press release of a new signing you know mentality has been mentioned I think mm. and uh, you already see it with uh, Thomas Delaney who is also really really loud on the training ground who is a new guy but also is already very vocal gives commands I think that's really important and it looks as though Dortmund will have a very communicative midfield. So, um, my question to you is, um, you, you just talked about the leadership role. Obviously, you can lead in many different ways. Um, how would you describe Axel Witzel as doing that? He's, he's a very strong presence. And this, this goes back to the Senit days. And I, I knew to that in the article, right? That he did not have an easy start there. Because he walked A into a dressing room that was full of Russian alpha males, um, very strong personalities and who did not appreciate the fact that the, here came the foreigner, um, on a high transfer that basically brought in a culture change at the club. And then of course he had to deal with the fans that were quite vocal, not only about the, the fact that he was not Russian and that he cost a lot of money, but also about his color of his skin, right? And that, that was not a difficult, that was a very difficult situation to deal with. And he, he, he very quickly won everyone at the club. Um, I mean, a couple of players that were opposed to him were forced out by both the leadership of the club and, um, the squad members who did not appreciate the way things were going. And, uh, the fans were quickly won over because he was a very good player. I mean, he, he and Hulk, when they left, were fan favorites. And that says quite a lot considering where the fans stood when they, he first came in, right? So I think what you get is really honest work and you get the clear direction. And I think he, there's a guy who, yeah, has maybe in the past, and this is something that has been criticized, taking the money over, um, a clear career path. But at the same time, he's now taking a massive pay cut to come back, right? So this is clearly someone who, who has a, who has a straight opinion about things, who is maybe you will not see him necessarily yelling around on the pitch, 
Um, but you will definitely have someone who will give you a clear direction and will be a, run a clear line on the field and will make it clear where he wants the game to go, either through um, basically holding on to the ball or winning the ball or making that tackle when it matters. And I think that's really what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of earnesty from uh, Axel Witzel. Is, is he a great communicator? <laughs> that's that's hard to say because he's always lived in an environment where he didn't necessarily speak the language, right? Um, I don't think his Russian was very good, uh, never was very good, but yet he managed to communicate nonetheless. And I is that a, I guess that's a very good communication skill. Um, Flemish and French are a lot closer, of mm -hmm. course, to, to easier to learn than um, German from when you have that as a base language. So I, I think he will learn German quite quick and that will help him to communicate. And um, that's actually something that I'm really looking forward to, to actually hear him speak more in, in press conferences, give him straight uh, opinions, because I think you'll get a lot more from that, uh, from him now going to Germany. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to how this will develop and how he will fit in the team. Um, I think Süddeutsche Zeitung uh, wrote that uh, he is like the transfer coup and that he seems to be the signing of the season for Dortmund. Um, I always like to withhold judgment before players actually do play, but, um, you know, he obviously arrives in Dortmund with a lot of expectation, but it's obviously an entirely different scenario. And you just touched upon this, uh, how I arrived in, in, in Russia. And, uh, I actually would like uh, you to, um, elaborate a little bit about, um, how, I, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's a feel good story, but it's, it's definitely something uh, for everyone, some, something positive to take away from because, uh, Russia, you know, is, 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 a, it's the biggest country on earth. It's a very diverse culture, yet it's also very white because most people that live there are white. And, uh, as you just said, foreigners, especially with a different skin color, uh, there will, uh, meet a lot of resentment i think uh, i'm not going too far to say that uh, racism and homophobia are problems in russia like they are everywhere else in the world but especially in in russia so um how can can you tell our listeners how we actually managed to turn things around a little bit yeah you, you have to actually say that things improved in russia over the last few years but he came to russia at the time and it was It's very bad, especially in league play. Um, there was rarely a game where there isn't a banana thrown on the pitch, right? And um, that is the sort of racism that if you're not black, you don't even understand. Um, I think it's it's so demeaning in itself. Um, on top of that, the monkey chance and all that. The when he arrived at at Zenit, the club never really had um, any major black players in the entire history and the defense um st petersburg is a very very wide city it's a it's a it's a city with a lot of mm, a very multicultural city it's also a center of islam and all that but you're quite right it's a very white city um even though pushkin was actually black a lot of people especially russians seem to forget that but not that aside i think i think he had to deal with that that they there was this perceived Understanding by Lanskona fans, the biggest fan group, that Sunni players had to be all Russian-based, Slavic-based, white players. Sort of, they had this dream that they would be like Athletic Bilbao, right? A club that only signs from within, from a certain region. And um, 
this right, rightly so was very quickly um, examined as being racist because <laughs> their motivations weren't like Atletico Bilbao. It's because Atletico Bilbao, if you're black and you come to the youth academy, guess what you're playing, right? We all we all know the story of Williams, who do that us very well right now at Bilbao. They, their notion was not quite like that, although they tried to sell it like that. They really just didn't want to have any black players. Um, you look at, for example, also the statement included, they didn't want to have any gay players either, right? They wanted to have real white Slavs in the team. Now, um, you arrive at this club and you know that the biggest fan group has just issued the statement because of your arrival. I think, I think that this, um, that is something that can be a little bit of a shock, right? That you understand, okay, well, I have to deal with this environment. Plus I have to play league games all over this massive country. And the, the traveling in Russia is, is, is huge. I mean, we, we both spend a lot of our time in North America. We, we know what it is like. And Russia is even bigger than that. So the travel is, is enormous. And you're traveling to these far corners outside of St. Petersburg and Moscow, where at the time, you know, there were black players, but it was still something new. And fans reacted to it oftentimes quite badly. That said, I was always impressed that both Hudson and Hulk have spoken about. Now, of course, Hulk was at the Zenit as well at the times, but they did it in a way. And I'm not even, I can't, don't even sure 100% sure how they did it, but they did it in a way that they did not really attack fan groups directly. They just spoke about it being an issue and how it affected them. And that did quite a lot to really win the hearts and minds, at least of Zenit fans. Um, they both were very, very popular when they left. And, you know, despite, the reception that they got when they arrived, they managed to completely turn that around. And that is something, you know, people say Witzel never had to, never played in a top league, so he never had to prove himself, but try to do that. I think that says a lot about character and, um, dealing with a situation that is uncomfortable, but at the same time, not dealing with, with head on, but to convince people by your actions on the field, but also by talking about the issue off the field without actually trying to be confrontational. That is, I think, something that for me always stood out quite a lot. Yeah, I think it just goes to show that diversity can can really help people and so even, even more so that, that people need to actually get to know each other and not just uh, judge others from afar by issuing a statement before someone arrives. Uh, yeah. I mean, how do you break down xenophobia? Xenophobia is Latin means fear of the other. If you know the other, then there's no reason to be afraid. So exactly. that's what's the best way of breaking it down is to get to know each other. I mean, we saw that now at the World Cup that I'm pretty sure a lot of hearts and minds in Russia were changed during this tournament, during all the parties and everything, celebrations that went on the street with many people of many different backgrounds. Um, we have to remember that when Witzel arrived in Russia, this was in 2012, that's six years ago. Back then, the, the Russia were just awarded the tournament and the, the talks about the issues of racism really just started in the country, right? And the issues of racism in football in the country just started and really became a big issue. And in the lead up to the World Cup, the Russian Football Federation and uh, the league really started to try to make it better and change the attitude towards it. Um, so we have to really look at it as, as this time window from six years 
over the last six years. But Witzel was very much a sparehead of one of those first players. And you have to remember too how much Zenit paid for him. They paid 40 million euros for him at the time. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot now, but back then <laughs> that was a mega transfer. Yeah, it, it certainly was. And, uh, it's, it's also interesting that you, that you said that, uh, you know, they're, you know, that only in 2012, like six years ago, they, I, I want to say recognized that there was an issue or, you know, made it, gave it more awareness because racism obviously is an issue that's usually underlying and, uh, even more so when it's not addressed. So, um, it's, it's good that, uh, things change also in the, in the Russian culture. And you just said that, uh, it's gotten a lot better since then. Um, besides Axel Witzel, maybe on, on the more, in, in more general terms, just because I'm interested why and how has it gotten better? The incidents of racism have gone down significantly. And this is because of anti-racism campaigns in stadiums. The simple things, um, <laughs> simple things like don't be an idiot, um, to respect the players, respect where they come from, teach them what racism is. A lot of Russians don't even know what racism is. This is something that in the time and the years that I've worked there in the buildup of the World Cup, um, uh, people would think that a monkey chant would be just a way to distract an opposite players. Uh, that's not racism, they say, because all we do is help our team. And it's like, well, actually, no, it's, it's racism because you offend their, their color of the skin. And then you get that, oh. So it's really just education, really teaching people what racism is and what it means and what it means to the players that are affected by it. I think that's, that's the first stepping stone. To, to compart racism is not punishing and making stadiums go empty because I think that's, has for many years been UEFA's only approach or FIFA's only approach or any government body's approach. I think the number one and the biggest key to fighting racism, again, xenophobia, fear of the other, is to educate. With education, you learn, okay, well, if I say this and you're offended by it, why are you offended by it? Oh, you're offended by that because of that. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. All I wanted to do is help my team. So. I think that really is, is one of the main things and it has gone down significantly. It's still an issue and it will remain an issue. And the problem now, of course, is for organizers that the World Cup is gone. The attention is gone. So it will be a lot harder to fight it, right? Because the, the press and the, the press in the West is no longer going to care. Um, so I think that's going to be the main challenge. But ahead of the World Cup, they have done a very good job of really, um, slashing down the numbers of racism incidents in Russian stadiums quite significantly. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, <laughs> note to end uh, our little segment on Axel Witzel. Um, I just uh, find his story re really interesting and uh, I'm sure uh, we will see in the next two or three seasons, uh, you know, how, how he develops. I don't think he is a player that will leave ship quite soonish. So, uh, Manuel, thank you again. And uh, please tell our listeners how to uh, get in touch with you and where to find your work. Yeah, thanks once again for having me. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Manuel Veth. And then most of my work is um, on over at the Football Grad Network. You can find all of that at Football Grad Live. We have a couple podcasts. We have two articles, lots of previews on... <laughs> posts of your teams in the Champions League. So we have that stuff up already. And then, of course, we do player profiles, um, players coming into the Bundesliga or coming into the post-Soviet space or leaving, sometimes leaving, um, like it is the case with Axel Witzel. So, yeah, you can find all of that at Football Grad Live. <laughs>